Welcome back, listeners, to this first of five final episodes here at Feelin' Film. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me, ready to close out the beginning of the end of an era, is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. That's right. That's right. It's a big deal. He's here. It's a big deal. Yeah. But I'm here. It's big. We're back. <laughs> Send me For an angel, Patrick. Time. Send me an angel. Yeah. <laughs> Get strange, man. Just get strange. All right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So if you're listening and seem a bit confused or haven't checked out our presence on social media recently, uh, you may not know that we're actually landing the feeling film plane over the next several weeks, bringing the podcast and our conversations about how movies make us feel to a close. But we really didn't want to just abruptly say goodbye. That's kind of lame. So instead, in order to get to that magical 400th episode milestone, because we're so close, we're covering a handful of movies that we both love and potentially have some inspiration behind their choosing. As we get into them, we'll let you know what that significance is. Uh, And then we'll be finishing with one final retrospective about the podcast and our journey over these last eight years, Aaron. Eight. Like, I think starting in (laughs) April, it will officially be eight that we would have started this podcast. That's right. And and unofficially... Maybe we'll talk about all of this more in depth when we do our retrospective. But unofficially, I'd almost say... It's really more like nine. We weren't recording things, but we were having podcast esque conversations for a full year. Oh yeah, yeah. Before this. we'll definitely talk about that. Yeah. And yeah. and I felt like we'll also we, I don't really want to go into on each of these four movie review episodes all the details and the reasons why we're yeah. shutting down. So listeners, yeah. you know, if you're following me on social, you probably have already seen it. I've also posted it on the Feel and Film socials a little bit about it, but we'll go more in depth and we'll talk about. The good, the bad, the ugly, all that stuff when we do our final, final show here in a few yeah. weeks. Man, well, it's crazy. I know, right? <laughs> we're so close. And uh, this week, we're going to throw some love at the 80s, as I know that uh, you and I, we've covered a not a multitude of 80s movies, but enough that we can consider ourselves 80s kids and the love here and there. Um, and we're going to start with a fully remastered, well, not, it's not fully remastered at this point. It's the movie Rad from 1986, this BMX movie that I know we both cut our teeth on. It's actually celebrating a 4k release later this month, March 21st, I think is Fathom Events is doing a one night only. We did not know about this. I know. So (laughs) it's very very serendipitous that we picked this one. The hilarity of we're shutting down the pod. We're picking four movies, and we don't care about listener preference at all. We are just we're doing four movies that we want to talk about. And you know, if you want to listen, whatever you're, that's cool. If not, we don't really care. And yet, we then, without any eye for marketing these whatsoever, we end up picking something that is like perfectly timed <laughs> to a re-release in the theater. So, yeah, I don't know if the yeah. universe is telling us something. Maybe God's saying something with this, but uh, it is really cool. That you can listen to us talk about Rad, and then you can go see it. Or you can wait, just go go see Rad in the theaters, and then come back and listen to this episode. Yep. Yeah. Well, this will be official spoiler warning, as we always do. And uh, without further ado, as a lot of people say, let's get ready to break the ice into this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron, we're going back. 1986, as I said. Honest talk. How much did you want to become a BMX guy after watching this movie? Or were you sort of a BMX guy and this just kind of solidified your ability to pedal on a bicycle? Because I don't recall in the years that we've been friends that you've ever like hit a ramp or done like a makeshift half pipe or, you know, kind of backflipped out of a bowl of cereal. So tell me about your world with this movie and maybe if it had some inspiration for you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you asked this. I'm glad we're starting with this. First of all, to me, 
a major factor in evaluating almost any sports or activity competition focused movie is answering the question, does it inspire me to do the thing or learn more about the thing or play video games of doing the thing in some cases? And like WWE, for example, <laughs> like this, is what, <laughs> that's what the Iron Claw does, right? Like it set me yeah. into a world where I went and I was like, I need to see what's up with world, the world of wrestling right now. I got obsessed with it. I started playing wrestling video games. That's because I rewatched that movie and love the movie so much. And so if it does that, a movie like this, I consider that to be a huge merit of success. And the thing about Rad is that every time I watch this, going all the way back, I find myself wanting to buy a bike. (laughs) I have definitely had bikes over the years, and I was much more of a biker than I ever was like a skateboarder. That was not my thing. I rode bikes. Now, while I have some small history of dirt bike riding, I would say my experience leans more towards the mountain bike side of things. The only time I've ever done anything remotely in the vicinity of something like Helltrack, there was a bike track down at a park in Little Rock, maybe North Little Rock. Okay. I can't remember where it is. It's where I flipped my truck, if you remember that happening. but oh, okay. <laughs> but, uh... Because I flipped my truck on the bike stuff. But uh, anyway, I I used to ride the bike down there, and there were jumps, dirt ramps, dump, dirt jumps okay. and things. So while I never tried any backflips over mattresses, because I would have actually broken my neck, as <laughs> is suggested in some... Uh, yeah, man, I loved riding my bike. I loved jumping off of things, not in the BMX traditional way, but I did love riding my bike in, like... In cul-de-sacs and in culverts, big giant storm drains and things of that nature. So I really resonate with the culture of these kids more Mm -hmm. so than the culture of a lot of other like 80s activities that we see movies about. I don't disagree. I was the same way. And this didn't inspire me to get any better at my bike riding. But I always after watching the movie would look at storm drains and would look at gutters and be like, man, could I jump that? Could I do a, a tabletop or, or whatever it was? Could I do a 360? None of this would ever happen. I would get so freaked out just going over a small ramp that was maybe six inches tall. But movies like this are one of those where you just get really excited when you start watching it and it amplifies the sport. Like it, it makes it, I won't even say it makes it accessible. I think part of the story makes it accessible because it's about this kid from a small town who makes good and the town rallies around him. But I think what makes it so much fun for me is the simplicity of it around a sport that at the time, in my, of course I was, I was like six, maybe seven, 10. I don't know what I was. I was in 86. I can't remember. My math is wrong at this point, but maybe seven, but I wasn't thinking about, Oh man, what's going on in the world of BMX racing? Did this, movie like bring people to the attention of BMX or was it already established and this was just sort of kind of taking advantage of that I was thinking a lot about the the world of um when I think about the world of BMX I think comparatively about the world of like wrestling like you mentioned where you had um movies 
where Hulk like Rocky three, where Hulk Hogan was big in the eighties and he didn't play himself, but it was the first big time you saw a wrestling superstar play a wrestler. And it sort of kind of played off of the success of WWF as it was known at the time. And so I often wonder if this inspired BMX, much like when you watch a movie like swingers that took advantage of the swing era that was getting revival. That's not there anymore, but I kind of wonder if they kind of helped each other where you have BMX wasn't really big, but it was big enough that you had names in the movie. You had brands in the movie. And so I think it was sort of a balance of both. Like it brought the attention around the world, kind of like what Duke Best wanted to do with crew. Like he wants to use his name and use his face to give access to BMXing all over the country. And at the same time, not thwart his desire to, um, to use Bar Taylor because, you know, there's a threat there. But overall, I just, I love the simplicity of this story. I love the fact that it doesn't try to be anything more than it wants to be. And the fact that the BMX parts of it felt like they were, they made sense. Like it didn't feel like it was unrealistic. Okay. Let me just, I, I could, I could pick nits as much as the next guy. Cause I've watched this movie so many times, but overall I didn't feel like I shook my head going, really? Are you kidding me? No, I was like, wow, that's awesome. I want to learn to do that, even though I never did. And I think that's the magic of a movie like this is because it just it puts you back in a place that is quintessentially an era that I don't think could actually be remade today. Like, I don't know if you could have a, a BMX revival, even though that still exists. You've got the X Games, you've got all these other things. I just I don't know how intimate a story like this would be in 2024. It wouldn't. And I, and I, I think that's going to be continuing to enhance our love for these movies of the 80s and the nostalgia that comes with them because, Patrick, kids don't do this because they don't have to do this because everybody's inside with their games or with their electronics. So your kids are not generally gathering around the neighborhood together, riding their bikes around out in the woods just because that's all there is to do like that that's you didn't have options back when we were kids like we do now right and so that's why we grew up with these passions for biking and skateboarding and outdoors activities and so i think there is something to that and i agree with you wholeheartedly about the simplicity and approachability of this being its strength i was reflecting on the fact that well, I've been reflecting a lot since I made this decision about stepping down from being a film critic myself individually as well, and how my head goes to like critically reviewing movies. And this is a perfect example of something that I can understand why it has a completely horrible Rotten Tomato score from the critics, right? If you look at it and you're like, oh, let me evaluate the acting quality, it's not great. Okay, at times it's pretty bad, but they all the everything gets across. And for me, the package of this movie is darn near perfection because it's so simple and because it is so freaking realistic for the most part. Yeah. I mean, it feels like you're living in this time in this small town and this could really happen. And it's not you mentioned it's not like overblown and completely like made into a more dramatic thing than it needs to be, which some people yeah. would say takes away from it because maybe it's not as exciting as you want it to be. 
but I love that about it. And I, I just, I don't know. But, there's something that it feels like home. It feels like a warm hug to me. Yeah. And the t- I mean, you look at the opening sequence, which I think is just phenomenal. Just it's a it's a montage of like talent. Shocker. 80s movies and montage with a song in it that Patrick loves. How uh, it's 400 I'm, episodes I'm, I'm and we've re- come right back to the place we started. <laughs> I'm always ready to break the ice when it comes to a movie like this. But like you said, watching it with a more mature set of eyes, whether it's a film critic or just getting older, I could I found myself throughout the movie enjoying it equally as much as I was criticizing it. And I was OK with that. This is the mantra behind how, why we've done feeling film is don't feel guilty about what you love, love what you love, enjoy what you want to enjoy and don't apologize for it. But I think what's really interesting about this opening sequence is the fact that you have this amazing group of talented BMXers that we never get to see their well, we see their faces, but I don't know who they are. I mean, they're people that are actually were in the BMX world. And then it stops, you get the still, and the next scene is what? It's crew and Luke and Becky, high schoolers, newspaper route. No, you you don't do that in high school. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know anybody that had a paper out in high school. I had Maybe, one. Did you have one? Oh, not in high school. No. Well, yeah, I can believe the paper route. I did have a paper just, route at I've one got, point. But I've got like 17-year-old kids on a paper route. I, just, I, I get why that was put in there yeah. because they're on bikes. But you contrast the opening titles, which are amazing, to them, and they have their own like urban version of what's going on in those opening titles. And I think that totally sets the table for what kind of movie we're getting that you're going to have contrasting ah moments, contrasting wow moments, but it's still going to be talent that's at the forefront. And I think that's one of the cool things about this movie is that it's amplifying the fact that regular kids, urban BMXers can compete on the same stage as professional BMXers. That's a through line all the way throughout this movie from you know, getting a sponsor to going head to head with Bart Taylor. And I think if you hadn't had that opening sequence plus the paper route scene, you wouldn't have gotten the believability of like, there's no way crew and his you know, gang or his crew are going to be able to to do this unless you saw them realistically do things that seem like they would actually happen, you know, jumping out of a pool or jumping onto a trash can and then over a wall, which I don't know how that, I mean, some of these things I just didn't know how they worked, but they made sense in the town. They made a track, essentially. They made an arena for them to do their stuff in a blue collar way. And I love the contrast of that following this professional, clean, white collar thing where guys are like doing like half pipe thing. It's just, it's great. I love it. Yeah. I, this is a, just a fantastic one of the best openings, which is I think you mentioned that, too, because it, it aligned with an idea you had been thinking about a lot lately of great movie yeah. openings. And then we get this one. Yeah. And the ma- the montage is so phenomenal. I kept thinking the whole time I was like, this is like a game of mousetrap, you know, where you have to, like, go through all the little different traps. And it's one thing sets off the other thing sets off the other thing. And it was so fun to see him interacting with the rest of the townspeople on mm-hmm. a schedule trying to beat a time and yeah, you know, like you said sometimes part of the town's 
folk were in on it, like the garbage truck guy who was waiting for him. He's like, come on, come on, come on. I got to go. And he's like, lifts yeah. him up in the, <laughs> the, like, I don't even know what you call it, the claw of the garbage truck and dumps him over about one fence. And then you get the, the fun sequence where the motorcycle cop chases him around the lumber yard, which seems to be a very reoccurring game between the two. And so you're right. It sets up this idea that, hey, crew has been doing this around, you know, in his own way because he doesn't have a track. And so how else are you going to get good at being a BMX biker if you don't do it like this? And I think that that also really pays off. I'm sure, you know, in the end, we may talk about it, but I I just think that that opening montage has a phenomenal sort of callback at there's a there's a scene at the end of the movie that really makes it even better to me um and and the heart of this story is that the town is coming together ultimately to support their own and yeah you you get that in the opening scene it's not just a movie about crew it's a movie about introducing the various people that are working and living in this same very tiny little community that he's part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except his mom played by Talia. Yeah, she's rude, but she comes, she comes around to school. Eventually. SATs. What? <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here with yeah, that mess. Right. <laughs> go back to, go back to Rocky. You've graduated to school. Dude. Are you off your rocker lady? He's this guy's got a bike to ride. <laughs> Again, more things that we could we could. Can we the pick movie, the like, nit of why the child, the girl, little girl, is the only female I've ever seen in history named Wesley? It what a I'm yeah, sorry, but I mean, that is just a. I'm sure in 2024 or whatever, like no one would blink an eye. But like that was very strange. <laughs> I was like, I did a double take. I said, did he just call her like Wes? He like he Wes must like yeah. have meant something else. But no, her name is literally Wesley, and I've just never in my life seen that as anything other than a masculine name. And so this cute little girl <laughs> being like Wesley, it was like, oh, okay. Maybe it's, are you a dread maybe pirate name, training? Exactly. <laughs> She's the dread pirate sister yeah. is what she is. That's why she gets thrown in the trash can. Like <laughs> that's a recurring theme too. She gets put in the garbage when he's trying to talk to his mom, and then later on during the race, she's standing in a garbage can because she can't see. Like <laughs> the the things you notice after watching a movie like this, like well over fifty times. There you go. Very much, yeah, odd stuff for sure. You mentioned a couple of those scenes. I wanted to ask, do you feel like a movie like this, a sports movie, we've talked about this before on the uh, Cinematic Underdogs podcast, that for a movie to be considered a sports movie, possibly it has to have you know sports in it, right? It can't just be what we called sports adjacent when we talked about air with them. <laughs> do you feel like there was enough BMXing throughout? Did you want more? Or, I mean, did you feel like it was just like the right amount? And like what stood out to you? Um, in terms of just the the sequences. I mean, there is literally no other movie in the history of cinema that has a BMX dance scene, Patrick. I am convinced (laughs) that is one of one and will probably go on being one of one forever. Uh, No, I think this movie is extremely, uh, no doubt, a sports movie. It is about someone doing a sport that they love and preparing to compete in said sporting event for glory and personal 
you know, pride and also monetary gain and, you know, the chance at doing something that they want to do professionally. So, yeah, I would say no question about it for me. This is definitely a sports movie. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree at all. And I think for me, it has the right amount of different types of BMX sequences between Hell Track, between the chase by Skinhead, the cop. Uh, my favorite, actually, and I think it's because of the needle drops that we can talk about later, but my favorite is the qualifying races. I think that's probably my favorite it's the, BMX scene yeah. <laughs> in the entire movie be, because of many things that are going on in there, but not one of which being the, the needle drop. But I, I think it's just, it's not so much that it feels like it's just a highlight reel of BMX racers. Again, because we have this small town feel we have this accessible character in the form of Crew, which, by the way, great name, Tr Crew Jones. Like, that's a BMX name right oh, there. Bart yeah. Taylor, Crew Jones. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. Great name. I wanted to ask you about, real quick, but, Bart Taylor. Yeah. Do you think because he's being played by, I have it written down, Bart. Bart Connor? Bart Connor, who was a two-time yeah. gold-winning American gymnast in the yeah. mid-'80s. For those of you who aren't old like us, the men's gymnastics team used to be dominant for like decades. Like we were incredible. USA men's gymnastics team was amazing. And Bart Connor was part of one of those absolute historic teams. And then yeah. this is the only movie he was ever in. <laughs> really random. Really, really random. And yeah. I wonder, do you think that they left his name Bart to make it easier on him as a first time actor? 100%. Okay. 100%. Okay. Yeah. But at the same time, of course, we don't know all the scenes that were filmed because I know that in the editing process, some are cut. But I'm trying to think back in my head how many times he was called Bart, like he was addressed to as Bart. I, I think that the I think that there was a miss here. I like Bart Connor. Um, I think he's fine. I think, uh, you know, he's just he's a good looking dude. He fits the part. But I think William Zabka would have been perfect because he was a fantastic villain in the 80s, you know, playing Johnny Lawrence in the Karate Kid in 84, and then he was the bad guy bully in a movie called Just One of the Guys. Like, this this was a William Zabka thing. I just think he wasn't... Well, I say that. He was, he was athletic. He was a martial artist. But it does make me wonder, he was flying high as a bad guy, and he has the charisma. I would have loved, if I did some recasting, I would have put William Zabka in that bike seat instead of Bart Connor. Bart Connor's fine. And, you know, him with his own, like, twin people and the girls and stuff, they look good. They look like a kind of a rock and roll gang of people. But, man, I think William Zabka would have nailed it, especially with the run that he was having with, with those two movies. I, I think that, yeah, I would love to have seen him on a bike and <laughs> going after Crew Jones for, for, the, for the title, for the, for the Hell Track title. That would have been cool. Yeah, I agree. And I, I like a lot of the crew. <laughs> here both crews yeah cruise cruise both cruise crew and bart's cruise cruise i call them the rad racing team that that's good it makes it easier. I, I still want that shirt i still want one every time i watch this i'm like oh i need to go buy that shirt and then i forget yes but that rad racing shirt t public baby dude, it is t -Public. sick it is so sick uh yeah but aunt becky like i didn't realize that i still had a crush <laughs> on aunt becky again we're old Lori laughlin plays the character in this movie does she, what's her name in here? I don't even know what her name is in this. Does she have a different? What's her name? Do you remember? I call her number one. I, she was Becky she to me. So 
uh, Christian is what she from goes Full by. House. Christian, by Christian. <laughs> Becky's better. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that was awesome. I thought I do really enjoy the BMX dance scene. It is just it's so unique, dude, and it's so out of nowhere to me. Like they're at this school dance, and it's just so ridiculous. I mean. That probably is the thing you were thinking of, at least one of them, when you said picking nits on realism. Obviously, yes. that's not going to happen, but I, I no. don't care. I'm so <laughs> glad it did. And it's just accepted by everybody on the dance floor. Everybody's like, in on the it. DJ, the DJ's like, oh my gosh, who is that? That is not Bart Taylor. He's going to shake it up a little bit. And I'm like, really? Yeah, You're going to really. let these two guys come in, these two people come in and in bmx bikes and start like bunny hopping on uh on gym gymnastics equipment like that wouldn't happen but it's so great it's so played for effect in amplifying the fact that if you believe as an audience that this small town is so jacked about getting hell like if look at the premise this whole thing starts with the meeting the with um duke best and uh and burton played by ray walston walst yeah walston and he's put in all this money to put this track in and as an adult i didn't i got more about the importance of this like this small town it's it's like when salt lake became the host city for the olympics like that's a big deal you're getting all this tourism hell track was going to be this thing and so it made a whole lot of sense when you have these celebrity bmxers coming in I forgave the absurdity of a school dance being run over by BMX dancers, you know, especially when you have Bart Taylor and his team rocking right before that. I'm going to say this. I kind of I kind of side with Bart here when Christian comes in and he's like, hey, you could at least wait until I was done dancing. And she's like, whatever. And I'm like, dude, he's not wrong. Like, let him finish his stuff. That's true. You're going to have right. You're going to have your moment. But uh, but yeah, it was (laughs) I don't think any other movie. This is this is kind of a, a revolutionary movie because no movie has done since or was doing prior to that uh, the things that you've mentioned. You know, <laughs> a BMX dance sequence, a an epic BMX track called Hell Track. I mean, these things are like first time, last time. Brought to you moment. by Seven Eleven, the <laughs> the brand nostalgia USA Today, the the paper. I don't know if yes. that's still a thing. Is it? Do people still get it delivered? Uh, Maybe. I mean, they, I don't know anybody gets papers delivered to their flower beds anymore. <laughs> or to their convenience stores. Or to their, or yeah. Or get coffee knocked out of their hands from That it. scene always <laughs> trips me up, too, that beginning montage. Because when he's going around giving everybody the papers, again, like nitpicking here. But <laughs> when he... The, the, there is a fire truck <laughs> coming down the street. And I'm like... Is that guy really a subscriber? Like, why would you give him like you're not? It's not a house. It's not a location. It's just a random dude on a fire truck. Are you just giving away the paper, or are you going to have to pay for that? Small crew? town. It's a small town. The excuse twenty five cents is on that... you coming out of your check. <laughs> Great introduction of characters too. I mean, you get some that are throwaway one timers, and then you get some that get introduced to later on, like like Burton Trimmer. I think he has or Timmer has the character Burton. Uh, has some of the greatest lines when he gets the coffee knocked out of his hands by by uh, by crew as he's getting the paper he goes this world would be a lot better off without kids you know and here's a guy putting in tons of money for a for a track that's going to be ridden by a bunch of kids so very very ironic there but he he's great throughout the uh, throughout the movie who's the villain obviously you got Duke Best do you think 
I guess Bart was sort of a half villain because he got some redemption. I never really considered him like the bad guy. I think he was just a competitor that was being used by by Duke. 100% not Bart. In fact, yeah. one of the things that I love about this movie is the interaction between Bart and crew on Hell Track and the interaction between them after the race. Bart intentionally slows down when he could have should have won in order to make it a fair final fight to the end and give crew a chance. The, the narr- the like announcer essentially calls that out. I didn't, I don't know if I've caught that before, but he, he says he's like, Bart's slowing down and letting crew catch up. It looks like he wants to like, you know, give him, give him a shot or basically give him a run for his money and make it fair, whatever he says. So there's that element of it. And which I, which helped me because crew falls down a couple times and I'm like, First of all, Hell Track looks impossible to pass on. I don't know how you pass somebody on the track. But the other problem with these races is if somebody tumbles in front of you, you're toast. And crew wipes out for a good 20, 30 seconds at one point. It's like, it's really hard to make that ground up. So anyway, I just love that Bart seemingly gives him a fair shot because Bart cares about the competition and cares about truly earning and being the best of the best, what it feels like to me. And I feel like that's kind mm-hmm. of solidified at the end when he ends up coming over and they, you know, they like, he picks up the bike and they, they, they invite him to join the rad racing team where it almost is like setting up a sequel. Um, yeah. And, and I just thought that was so cool to have your main competition not be, it, it's very Maverick and Iceman to me on a a kid i can see that yeah i don't disagree with the ending i think it's great you know have it because i know i never felt like bart and crew were mortal enemies like crew had a lot of respect for him there was a couple of times when adoration (laughs) in the diner when and this just kind of speaks to the chops of bart connor and his limited acting ability like he comes in with his girls he's like what's a guy got to do to get a table and like after three seconds of the guy looking around, he's like, come on, come on, come on. Do we get a table or do we leave? And I'm like, he's only been there for like half a second, dude. Hold off. And so the guy gives him a table. Crew's bussing it. And he goes, hey. And he goes, hey. Like, he has some respect for Bart. But I agree that by the end, I recognize Bart's respect for Crew and his ability to do all that he's done to get to where he is. You know, overcoming the... the the sponsorship, um, getting the money raised and everything and not, and all the competitive stuff like physically being able to qualify and whatnot. I don't know that I agree that it makes it a fair fight because he slowed down. I mean, the fact is the track itself is an adversary. And so I will halfway agree with you because at some point I think Rod and Rex knock out crew. So that gives a disadvantage. And so I think if you want to, go that route and potentially Bart is like slowing down to kind of even the playing field. And then it creates, of course, great drama. I love it. I think it's fantastic. I love the one-on-one, but I think you're absolutely right. That track is brutal. Like that track is absolutely Hollywood's Mike Miranda, who's apparently a professional BMXer goes out like 40 times. It seems like every time we see Mike Miranda, he gets taken out or he flies over the, (laughs) the, the wall or something. And so watching how they, 
watching how they compete. I think it's a testament to the track itself because how you have to film that. Like I never, I think I remember reading that it wasn't, I don't know if it was a complete track or if it was pieces and parts that they filmed in different sequences. But even that, I mean, you have a lot that you have to do to get up to that top and then go down. Um, I read somewhere that the track was too tall and so none of the bikers would do that. So they had to lower it to 25 feet. Like that's a, that's still a huge drop, but apparently it was taller when they originally built it. And so I think seeing how Bart essentially earns, there's a mutual respect that's earned by the end of the movie. It pays itself off pretty well when you know they raise the bike and you know, you got mongoose there that's going to be replaced with rad racing. But, but yeah, I thought that was great. I thought it was good. Yeah. And then, the one thing that always annoyed me was crew showing off a little bit like he's not even dominating the race or anything. And he's doing backflip. <laughs> like when he does, the announcer's like, Oh my gosh, a backflip. What a shortcut. Hulk Hogan, eat your yeah. heart out. And I was like, how yeah. is the backflip a shortcut? You literally take it's more not- time by spinning up in the air and going upside <laughs> down than you do just going straight. That's not a shortcut. Yeah. That is literally the opposite of shortcut. I don't know what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. I mean, and of course, it's supposed to pay back the, the it's supposed to call back to the air walking from earlier in the in the movie, which, by the way, when Lori Lachlan is teaching him, hey, you know, you over rotated and he's like, no shit, you know, and, I and that. all that stuff. And the, but I but later on, you know, when they're getting ready to go ass lighting, she's like, man, it took me three months, six months to learn to air walk. It took you one afternoon. I'm like, no, it didn't. I mean, he's been doing this thing for a while. Like, it's not like when she showed up, he just started doing it. But I, I, I mean, again, it's a great visual so, in, in the, it has no, no, no shortcuts, so, but definitely fun to watch. Speaking of what you just said though, <laughs> have you ever in your life outside of this movie heard essentially going down a water slide? This looks like, I guess it's like a makeshift storm drain of some kind that leads out into the river. Something like that, yeah. Have you ever yeah. in your life heard it called ass sliding before? No, another first. I, Rad has Brad <laughs> Rad is a pioneer. Rad is a pioneer movie. I I for wonder things that like I feel like some of these lines are so <laughs> when, when you they were writing them, it's like they were snickering to themselves. Like, I wonder if we can get this one through. Like at the end when he's like, God, what I wouldn't give to go ass sliding with you right now. I just, I'm like, that is a child in an adult's body writing dialogue and praying somebody doesn't read it until it gets filmed. Like, I just, Oh, like, yeah. My, my, one of my favorite scenes script wise, my brother and I quote this all the time. It's two parts. They both take place in the uh, in the diner. One is crew gets to the gets gets there. He's late apparently. He's like You're late again, crew. He's like, oh, excuse me, blob. I don't have a watch. And then he imitates you know what he normally says. But then later on, after he qualifies, one of the guys that's hanging out with uh, with his buddy Luke goes, the big something mix outside, and he wants to speak to you. And I'm like, what? Who's something mix? What what is that? I was trying, does that sound like Duke Best? I don't know who that is. I want to put subtitles on to really yeah. get that. But it's one of those like when you say rock the cat box, rock the you know, the cash bar or whatever, you just kind of picture what he says. But my brother and I would <laughs> we would quote that to each other like the big something mix guys outside and he wants to speak to you. It's just awesome. Yeah. Uh, the the script is definitely subpar, but I don't care because it's so much fun and 
you're watching this as a seven or eight year old. You don't listen for that. You're like, man, you have fully recognizable heroes, fully recognizable villains. You know who to root for. Dude, I was right there with Burton. I wanted to just flip uh, Duke off every time I saw him. And if you're going to create that kind of emotion in me as a six or seven year old, you're doing your job. So kudos to that. Back to your very first point. It is simplified. The villainry in here, everything is like very understandable. It is not overly complicated on who is doing what. And I think it's fun. It's a nice touch to like have best changing the rules multiple times because every crew then thinks he's accomplishing the goal just to get it ripped away from him again and again and again. And so I love the arc going back to what I said earlier about that montage and the fact that over the course of the film, from what we see at the very beginning, while crew may not be hated by necessarily by anybody in town, by no means does it feel that way. He matures to a point where he gains more respect from them by being respectful to them. And right. that ends up resulting in him getting his route done in the fastest time before he realizes that he can even still do tell track. So he accomplishes a goal that had been his real goal all yeah. along. Right. And I'm, right. I, that always gets me. I'm like, man, I love that. Like he, and it's because he inspired the locals to back their own. Right. And he does mm-hmm. so not by being too hasty and a jerk and throwing stuff into people with coffee or into flower beds, but by doing it the right way. And that's how he wins. And then it's like, it's almost like there's a reciprocal reward of the fact that the townspeople are behind him. They're going to raise his money and they're going to allow him to now chase his other dream of actually racing in Helltrack. I just think that's such a great story that is not yeah. overly saccharine in its presentation in a way, in a way that mm-hmm. I think so many sports movies to their, you know, I watch a lot of them, maybe most of them, and a lot of them kind of can get a little heavy handed on that. And it doesn't feel that way in this one. Yeah. No, he's such a nice boy. As is said by that, that one lady, like two or three times. He's going to be dumb though. <laughs> he doesn't take any tests and go to school. No, he's no, absolutely nice. Keeps, dumb, keeps nice. foregoing the SATs every six months. Like I'm just going to get a job working in that restaurant or that convenience store. You know, the, this, the town has accepted me. So, <laughs> I mean, if we talk about, if we talk about sequels, if we talk about what ifs, I'm guessing that Bart Taylor comes on and he gets, rad racing hooked up with a a distributor of some kind gets them like that's that's the that's the the bow at the end of the movie is bart taylor and even uh christian you know they're both mongoose people maybe they bring maybe they bring crew and his crew into mongoose and they kind of expand rad racing mongoose edition or something like that that would be my thought on like how do you make this successful not necessarily as a sequel but what is life after the movie look like for these characters that was kind of what i would envision all right i want to talk about the soundtrack because this i think has lived as much in infamy as the movie itself it is chock full of great songs that aren't even one hit wonders they're just good songs that are i think again like we've said before a movie like this they're they they're work for this movie i don't know that you could use any of them anywhere with the exception of Simeon angel like that one i think had legs that extended beyond 1986 but i've never heard any of these used anywhere else in any other movies and i really don't care to because they're all tied to specific moments 
like, of course, the opening sequence with Break the Ice. That's probably one of my favorites. But as I mentioned before, the the qualifying race, um, this thunder in your heart, every move is like, yes, it is. Every move is like lightning. Come on. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm pumping my fist because I'm like, he can do this. And by the way, innovative. He doesn't just stay on the track. He jumps over, uses the concrete to give him a little bit. That's a shortcut. It's not a backflip. That's a shortcut. But I, I thought, man, almost every needle drop in this movie was completely appropriate for the scenes that they were attached to. Yeah, I, I like the whole soundtrack in context of the film. Those are the three songs that I listen to outside the film, <laughs> even just because I want to listen to the music and kind of remember right. what it's like to be watching rad without actually spending 90 minutes to watch rad. You know, it's, it's send me an angel. <laughs> it's thunder in your heart and it's breaking, break the ice. Um, all of them just classic eighties choruses and, and hooks. Like it, it, they're just, they're perfect. It's just so they fit so, so well in this movie. And I think that it's also just, that is something that will always be a product of our era and our nostalgia. Because I, my son didn't get a chance to watch this with me because he was busy. But I can guarantee you that as a 19-year-old who's very into music right now, that if he was watching this, those songs aren't going to have the same effect on him as they do on me. Because he didn't grow up with this style of music in any shape way or form, right? I just don't think it's going to be as effective on him. But for us, it's... It is, it's a B sports movie, you know, comparatively to some of the other ones that we've had in this era. And it's kind of a B 80s movie soundtrack, but it is a very, very strong B 80s movie soundtrack. Like, you know, it's yeah. not Harold Faltermeyer and Top Gun. It's not those songs, right? <laughs> this is not Def right, Leppard or right. you're not getting those bands on this movie soundtrack. But they did such a great job of mimicking that feel in the construction of it all around, like everything about it, yeah. the production and the songs and everything. So good. Yeah. I don't disagree. That's the that, that perfect way to say that. Um, before we wrap up, just a few little tidbits of trivia. Um, the movie was originally going to be titled Balls Out, which was, would have been- It's a great quote, though, in the movie where the cop at the end said, it crew, is. you can do it. Just pretend you're in the lumberyard. Go balls out, and then and then the classic camera zoom to the face. Go balls out, like it's again. Somebody was writing this and just giggling as they were doing this. Yes, <laughs> rad's better yes. for the record. Yeah, the character of Crew is actually loosely based on a guy named Eddie Fiola, who does a lot of his stunts in the movie. And then one thing I noticed as a kid is why would you write in some dude getting his leg broken that couldn't participate in this twenty person deal well the guy rick moliterno i think is his name actually broke his leg during filming and so they wrote that into the script to give him a little bit of, of extra screen time um and so that's what you see hey summer cast you know you know don't let these guys intimidate you you know you're a winner or whatever it was uh, and then finally bill allen the guy that plays crew has a book called My Rad Career, which I actually have the digital copy. I bought it shortly after my brother and I went to go see the last Fathom event a couple of years ago for, I guess, like the 35th anniversary or whatever it was. Um, but I want to read it now in light of our recent 
this conversation because it talks about his history with the movie, how he went on to do more stuff on TV shows just as a, as a, as a background. I don't know as an actor necessarily, but it sounds really intriguing. So yeah, just go to myradcareer.com and you can get a copy of it. And I think there's a video of him kind of talking a little bit about it, but yeah, I mean, it's just lots of cool stuff. So, um, I think, and I want to say there is a rad version on DVD or Blu-ray that you can't find. It's like millions of dollars or something. It's really expensive on eBay, but it's got, um, a director's commentary. I think Bill Allen's on there. Lori Laughlin might be doing an actor's commentary. It's a lot of cool features that I would love to get my hands on, but I'm not willing to spend that much for a 90 minute movie <laughs> as much as I love it. So if anybody wants to go out there and gift it to me, feel free to, uh, I'll put my, I won't put my home address out there on social media. That's dangerous, but uh, DM me or whatever, and we can talk. <laughs> Any final thoughts before we wrap up, Aaron? No, I don't think so. I, I really just love this for what it is, for its uniqueness in the world of sports movies. And I am glad that it has been uh, upgraded recently to 4K. That was what happened a couple years ago. We got a copy of it digitally, and um, it looks great. It holds up great. I'm just glad that we got a reason to do another rewatch of it, you know, here at the end of this right. this run and talk about it before we say goodbye. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Aaron, thanks for this great conversation as always, and we will talk soon.